Lord, we stand before you in honor, honoring you of your, your commandments, God. And we want to honor you today as we study verse 14, the seventh commandment. We ask God for your Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts and to really go deep with us, Lord. God, we, we really want to live for you and we want to live out everything you're making us out to be in the image of Christ. So, Lord, we ask for your spirit to fill us, give us understanding, and to anoint this time. May we hear your voice through our study. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. You can be seated. I read about, um, you guys know the actor Ricardo Montalban. Montalban. He was Khan, right, in Star Trek, the Wrath of Khan. Or, or it might show your age. Remember Fantasy Island, you know, Ricardo uh, Montalban. Well, he was actually uncommonly married to the same woman for 63 years until his wife Georgina died at the age of 83. He passed away two years after that. Now, it, it happened to be once he was on this talk show, and the talk show host asked him, well, hey, what makes a great lover? He was kind of known for that on the screen. Well, his answer actually surprised the audience who were used to, and we can imagine, the life of movie stars. And it surprised them when he said this, a great lover is someone who can satisfy one woman her entire lifetime. Then he went on to say this, and be satisfied with one woman his entire lifetime. It's not someone who goes to woman to woman. Any dog can do that. <laughs> that was amazing. On national TV, talk show, you know, this actor saying this. And, and, but what a sad commentary it is in our society. As we see affairs, as we see uh, promiscuity going up, as we see the percentages is just rising up over and over. I heard about a man who, who wrote this, Dear Abby, I am in love, and I am having an affair with two different women other than my wife. I love my wife, but I love these other women too. Please tell me what to do. But, and this is what he wrote, but don't give me any, that, any of that morality stuff. Signed, too much love for only one. Well, Abby's answer was just classic here. She wrote, Dear, too much love for only one. The only difference between humans and animals is morality. Please write to a veterinarian. <laughs> That's pretty classic to me. Yeah, pretty classic. The thing is, commandment seven is, is about our moral character. It's about obeying God. It's about who we are in Jesus Christ. It's about honoring him and being faithful in our marriage and being committed to what we said at the altar. And so commandment seven is really a call to vow to keep your vows. And that's what I titled our message this morning, Vow to Keep Your Vows. Again, we're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. And 
And, and, and here's what we're going to see. And what I want to just unfold to you, it's a, it, it's a small verse. It's not too many words. But I want to go deep into this and kind of bring you the idea behind why God would put this in the Ten Commandments. And so uh, to vow to keep your vow, it's, it's, you know what, number one, it's so to honor your God. That's the first thing we're going to see, to honor your God. The second thing we're going to see is to treasure your spouse, to treasure your spouse. And the third thing, the final thing this morning will be to guard your heart. So we're going to be looking at those three things. So let's begin. Number one, to vow to keep your vows. It's, you know what it's there for? This commandment, it's to honor your God. We want to keep our vows because it honors our God. So to honor your God, number one. Verse 14, once again, it says, you shall not commit adultery. Now, it begins here, the seventh commandment with you shall not. And remember, I've been emphasizing how the NLT actually translates this, the New Living Translation version, you must not. You must not. Remember, God is speaking here. We saw in verse 1, and God spoke all these words, right? And Moses is just writing them down as God dictates this. It's not Moses' some idea he has. It's not something he's proposing. It's not some opinion he's putting out. But this is God, verse 1 says, God spoke all the words. So it came directly from the Lord. So as we come into verse 14 in this seventh commandment, understand this is God telling us this. This is God asking us this. This is God speaking here. Remember, the Ten Commandments aren't the Ten Suggestions, right? They're the Ten Commandments. So right away, the idea, I want you to see where, where we begin in verse 14. You shall not. I want you to see that, that we honor God himself when we obey and follow what he's saying here so honor what God himself is saying here what he asks of you what himself is saying look you need to follow this in obedience uh, later in the book of Deuteronomy Moses wrote wrote this uh, Deuteronomy 13 4 it says you shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments, and obey his voice, and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. And as you see it on the screen, think about how, what he's saying. He's saying, you shall walk after the Lord. You're going to follow God here. You shall fear him. You're going to reverence and honor him in that way. You're going to keep and obey these commandments, what he's saying, his voice, and you're going to serve him in this way too, in following this commandment. So, First and foremost, I want to put into your minds to keep your vow is your responsibility that he's giving us to honor your God, the creator, the Lord of all. Think about it that way. God is speaking. So this is the creator. This is the Lord God of the universe. This is God who is saying this. And so to keep your vow is actually really to honor your God. And so honor your God in, in this fashion. The theologian Francis Schaeffer said this, Love of the creature toward the creator must include obedience or it is meaningless. Isn't that good? I mean, we can say, oh yeah, I love God. Yeah, I, I really love him. I love God. But, you know, it's nothing unless obedience is there too. If you really love God, then you're going to obey him and you're going to honor him. 
So this is the approach, you guys. If, if, if anything, if anything that I can put in your heart, that this is not something we operate on emotions or feelings or anything, but it's pure obedience to what God said, and we are to honor him. So when he says, you must not, you shall not, that's important because God is speaking, and you must honor the God of the universe. And so what shall we not do? Well, the verse 14 goes on, says, not commit adultery. Now, in the original language in the Hebrew, it's actually just one word. It's like, you shall not adultery. Uh, in our English, it, it, it's more better, reads better, commit adultery. But, but that's the idea. The definition of the original Hebrew word is having sex with someone who is not your spouse. That what it is. It's how we use it today in, in, in our language, in our society today. Adultery, we know what that is. Now, we find in the Bible there is also that sin of fornication. Uh, fornication, when it's mentioned in the Bible, it, it's really having sex before marriage. But here, adultery is that sin committed after marriage. Having intercourse with someone who is not your spouse. And so understand, both are sin before the Lord. And it's sin against God's design for what he, he made for that intimacy, for sex. He designed it to be in the borders of marriage. So do you understand what I'm laying out for you guys here? Fornication, you know, having sex before marriage with someone, that, that's outside the borders. And going outside of the borders of marriage and having sex with someone who is not your spouse, that's outside of the borders that God has set up. What God has designed, so that's why the Lord's saying, hey, you shall not commit adultery. I want you to see this. Um, turn to the New Testament over to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. Hebrews 13, 4. If you could turn there. Hebrews 13, 4. It says here in verse 4 of Hebrews 13, Let marriage be held in honor among all. We need to honor God's design. And let the marriage bed be undefiled. Not, not sin in this way. For God will judge the sexually immoral and what? Adulterous. So you understand God created sex. God designed us to be attracted to the opposite sex. And to have that intimacy with one another, he designed it to be within the borders of marriage. I mean, that's what the verse is saying. That's why uh, keep it uh, undefiled before God. I mean, because he's going to judge you if you do it outside. Don't sin in this way, in a sexual immoral way, or be adulterous. So the borders, it's okay within marriage, but outside the borders, it's sin. So if we go back to Exodus 20, so to vow to keep your vow in what God is saying in verse 14 in the seventh commandment, it's to honor your God with how he designed marriage. I want you to approach it that way. God designed it this way. This is what God wants. So we're honoring him by, by following him in this commandment, but understanding how he designed marriage within those borders. We honor God when we keep 
this commandment, when we do not commit adultery. You know, I was thinking about it this way. The authorities in our state and government, they enforce laws of the road, right? And how we drive, the speed limit, uh, the, the yellow and black line, you know, don't cross that. Everyone's going, you know, one is for one way, one is the other way. And, and you know, the white lines, right? There's a dotted white lines and there's a solid white lines. And, and so there, there's certain things, you know, that we have to follow as we drive. The rules of the road, right, are designed to keep cars from getting into what? Wrecks, right? And so if we go against what the law is saying, what it's designed to do, then what happens? We smash into each other. Well, think about it this way. God created sex, designed it for marriage, within the borders of marriage. So in this analogy about us driving, basically, you know what? Stay in your lane. Yeah. Stay in your lane. Don't drift. As we know, when you drift into affairs and adultery, what happens to your marriage? It becomes a wreck. So God is really here telling us in verse 14, giving this as like a preventative for us. Yeah? To help us. Remember the commandments were helping us that not to sin and not to have live in those consequences of sin. And, and, and this is why this is here. You know, some might think that, well, I'm, I can ride the line. Yeah. It's all right. I can scoot it here or cross it and come back. But let me tell you, it's a dangerous way to operate. Proverbs 6.27 talks about how can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not burn, right? And he was talking about an adulterous affair in the next verse. No way, you're going to get burned. You can't play with this. You can't play with this because, you know, our flesh, right, is messed up. And our sinful flesh, it wants this. And it could pull us way over the line and into the other lane. No, we have to stand strong and honor God and honor his design for marriage. This is, this is where God saved us and rescued us from, from our sinful flesh. He, he freed us from that bondage. And now he made a new creation out of us. And now we can live this life without all that consequences and the wrecking that it does. We can live this life for Jesus. So be serious here. Allow no compromise in what God is talking about here because it is very, very dangerous. Dangerous, you guys. I read about this Wycliffe missionary, Aretta. She noticed Jimmy, this five-year-old neighbor, heading straight toward the back porch. And she had just finished painting the handrails so she shouted as she looked out the window she said come around to the front door jimmy there's wet paint on those porch rails i'll be careful jimmy replied not turning from his path still heading back there no jimmy don't come up the steps back there aretta shouted knowing his tendency to make a mess of things and not listen but not budging a bit. I'll be careful, he said again. But now he is dangerously close to the steps. Jimmy, stop, Aretta shouted. I don't want carefulness. I want obedience. That's exactly 
what God is saying. We can rationalize and do what we want to do, but God doesn't want you to be, oh, be careful. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're riding close to the line, but be careful. Oh, it's okay. I like riding the line. Oh, I go over a little bit, come back. No. God doesn't want you to be careful. God wants your obedience totally, completely, fully, because he knows our heart, you guys. He knows our heart. So vow to keep your vows. You know what that means? To honor your God in this. Honor your God in this and how he designed marriage. Number two, number two is to treasure your spouse. Vow to keep your vows, and that means to treasure your spouse. Treasure your spouse. Again, verse 14, as it says, you shall not commit adultery. We understand the seventh commandment is also to protect the sanctity of marriage, of what God did in marriage. Remember back in Genesis 2.24 when, when God brought Eve right, and Adam together in the first wedding ceremony ever. Right, brought them together. And it says in, in Genesis 2 that God joined Adam to Eve together as what? One. He joined them together as one in marriage. And that oneness is, is that oneness in heart, that oneness of the soul, the oneness of, of the, uh, our commitment to one another. It's, it's a spiritual connection, but it's also, you know, a physical connection in the intimacy of sex. It's, it, it, it covers all areas as us as human beings and as people and as a marriage, a husband-wife coming together. So then think about this now. Infidelity is to break that union with your spouse. It's to go against and to break what God has done in joining the two together and making them one. Now, this is important that the Lord puts this commandment out here and it's part of the Ten Commandments because you remember as we come into Exodus 20 where's Israel right now they're at Mount Sinai it's been about three months since they left Egypt God delivered them rescued them freed them from the bondage of being slaves in Egypt and they're headed where to the promised land right and God God is making this nation going to establish them in the land of Canaan they're going to be this nation this people this holy people of God and they have committed they say God we're going to follow you we want to be your people and God said okay well let me tell you what that's like so he gives the 10 commandments and the other laws that are prescribed here in the book of Exodus so it's about 3 months out so God is giving these 10 commandments and and as we get to commandment 7 when he says you guys, don't get into this adultery. Why is that? Because the Canaanites in the land that they're, they're going to or they're going to uh, 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 grab, right? They're, they're going to take over. The Canaanites in that land were very sinful, very far away from God, very sensuous, sleeping around, doing all that. I remember years ago, um, I went to this showing of some ancient... 
um, manuscript or, or something, and it mentioned David, King David, and it was kind of tying into, oh, see, uh, uh, kind of supporting what the Bible says and all. But also in, this, uh, in these artifacts they had, they actually had some Canaanite little statues and, and gods and things like that. And, and some of them was, was uh, a lot of them actually were, were women, basically. You know, uh, uh, little statues and things. And I remember the guy I was with said, you know what, that, back then that was like their porn. And I thought, wow, I never looked at it that way. But the Canaanites were, were, were pretty sinful and pretty bad in this way. So God's saying, look, you guys don't be like that. You guys do not commit adultery. The Canaanites, they didn't value how God made marriage and value a person. So God wants to make sure Israel is solid on that marriage union. Solid and not be influenced by the pagan society of the land. So to vow to keep your vows is, you know what? To treasure your spouse in the union God put you together with. That's really the idea. God, right? God brought Adam and Eve together and God brought you two together. Either way, you're married now. God brought you to together. And on this side of the cross and with Jesus in your life, you know what? It's the Lord. God has sovereignly done this in your life. And so treasure your spouse in this union that God had put you together with. It's interesting in Malachi chapter 2 verse 15, it says, Did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves and your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. I love that. We, we see all these elements there of what God has done in bringing a husband and wife together in their union. But did you catch what else? It's not only for your union to stay as one, but infidelity affects your children, your family, and their morality. Let me say, when it when it affects our family, it influences our society. It affects our society. God didn't want the nation of Israel to go that route. He wanted them to stay pure in their marriage and so that it would build a holy nation, a godly society. I mean, think about today in our world. We, we see today that sexual intimacy is, is no longer what God intended. We've gone so far. The society has drifted so far from what God has intended. You know, I was thinking about it this way. Uh, our society and, and, and the, the sinfulness that we live in, in promiscuity and premarital sex and fornication, adultery and affairs and things like that, it's really cheapened what God has originally created this physical intimacy to be. I mean, I was thinking of it this way. Yeah, you, you know, you go out on a date and you get to know someone and you fall in love. And what do you do? You hold hands. Yeah. Or you give hugs and maybe you kiss. But, you know, our day, we, we weren't, we're, we were not to cross the line. Not more than that. Because we knew that the physical intimacy is reserved within the borders of marriage. But today, right, having sex is, oh, it's all part of kissing and it's all part of dating. Or sometimes it's like, well, let's try it before you buy it kind of thing. And that's wrong, right? 
it should be within the borders and the boundary of marriage in the way God had made things. And then when that happens and you're not married, then you know what? And, and, and you have, you know, sex before marriage, premarital sex. You're like, you're like giving away a portion of yourself because it's part of the union that God does in marriage and bringing two together. And especially for those who slept around, it will affect them because it's like a, a piece of them every time. So God is saying, look, don't, don't do this. God is, is protecting even society and our families from this kind of sin and the, this road. And you know what? When God says you shall not commit adultery, it's to protect society from devaluing the human being. We need to, to treasure our spouse and how God put us together. But think about how lust turns people into objects. Objects, right? Lust turns people into objects to gratify a person's selfish desires. No longer, as we mentioned the other week when we talked about murder, no longer is that person made in the image of God. God valuing that person. Now it's just an object of desire. So adultery is not a romantic affair. It's really all about the sinful, wicked flesh. And that's the straight of it, you guys. I mean, look at the world. Just look in the world. It's, it, it's filled, right? I mean, TV, movies, commercials, ads, just filled with innuendos and, and TV shows and, and storylines. Oh, yeah, we just go sleep with whoever and, and all that, you know, and these relationships. And it's all like seems to point a big way in that physical intimacy. Look at ads that portray, portray images of men and women as what? Objects of desire, not a human being. You know, next time you see that ad, you know, I, we were walking in a mall in Hilo, and I was like, see these big ads, like, whoa. You know, and, and I, I was thinking, how sad, because next time, you guys, when you see that ad, you know what, turn away and pray for that person. See, we, we get so enamored in our lust and our desire that we forget, does this person know the Lord? This could be a daughter of God, son of God. Why are we here but to share Jesus Christ? Why are you here? To just live a nice life? No, we're here to further the kingdom of God. And when we give in to our, our sinful desires, we, the people become an object of that desire and not someone who needs Jesus Christ. So vow to keep your vow. You know what? That is to treasure your spouse as a person that is special and valuable to God. That's what we got to get back to. Whom God has joined you together, that's a special person. That's a daughter of God. It's a son of God. It's, it's a child of God. It's someone God has put you with. And that person, that, if God's done that and God made her or him, then they are special and valuable to God, and you should look at your spouse in that way. I read this prayer for someone who's uh, a prayer from someone whose spouse was cheating on her, and the prayer was this: "Lord, 
work in his heart so that he will think less about the pleasure he's experiencing and more about the pain he is causing. And I, I'm, I'm giving this to you today because that really puts it in perspective, doesn't it? We can get all caught up in our desires, but we forget what's really going on here. We can get so selfish upon trying to gratify us that we forget we're causing a lot of pain and have no compassion to our spouse, to the one who's hurting, and we just treat them like an object, undesired. But you guys, your spouse is a living human being, a person that God created in his image. And they're special. As we talked about uh, in the other week about you shall not murder, right? Every human being is valuable to God, is special to God. So treasure your spouse. We need to be proactive, you guys. Maybe you're here this morning and you think, well, we're good. Our marriage is good. We're strong. Good. This is preventative things. But we also need to be proactive, right? You guys know us who are married. It's, It's not easy. It does take work. It does not just come naturally. And that's the way God made it. So that we would grow ourselves in Christ. So we need to be proactive in our marriages and on this subject. You know what? Let me put it to you this way. I heard this, so I'm going to put it, give it to you guys. Don't water the weeds, but cultivate the flowers. Isn't that good? Don't water the weeds, but cultivate the flowers. You know, don't water the weeds mean allow nothing that leads you to that path of not treasuring your spouse. Of looking at her as an object. Remember, she's a gift or he's a gift. Don't allow those things that's going to pull you away. And we're going to talk about that in a, a, a moment, too, in our next section. But allow nothing that's going to pull you away from treasuring your spouse. So get rid of those weeds. Don't water those weeds. Be like Joseph. Remember Joseph when Potiphar's, uh, Potiphar's wife came uh, to, to him and, and was coming on to him? What did he do? He ran. He fleed. He got out of there. So be careful. Turn off what turns you on. Be careful what turns that flesh on for you to stray away. Yeah? Be done with it. Get rid of it. You know, that even means if, if perhaps you're sitting here or you're connected online and, and you're right in the middle of, of this flirtatious thing going on at work. You know what? Get out of there. Change position, departments, or quit. Because it's, it's hurting your wife. It's a, maybe nobody knows, but God knows. So don't water the weeds in any way. But you know what? Do cultivate the flowers. Cultivate the flowers. You know what that means? Date your mate. I like that. It's been said there would be less marriages in court if there was more courting in marriages. So you guys, date your mate. You know, get back to, like, connecting, communicating. Guys, I know we, we only have, what, 20,000 words or so that we can say a day, and women have, like, 60, and we're all done after we, when we come home from work, right? And they're, like, wanting to talk, and you're like, you're done. 
But you know what? Because you love your wife and you want to honor God, you are going to communicate. Communicate. Talk. Connect. You know what? Be aggressive about taking time to be together. Yeah? Cultivate the flowers. Talk together. Appreciate one another. You know, it popped into my mind. I was thinking of my wife, and you know, we had our anniversary, and, and I was thinking, you know what? My goal is to be able to grow old together. See, we're not old yet. But, uh, <laughs> young guy. No, <laughs> but, but understand, right? Make that your goal. I like that. I like, God, I like that. That's my goal. To be with my wife, to grow old together. Yeah? Or like Ricardo uh, Montalban. Yeah? They were married 63 years until her death, and he, he passed away two years later. All the way. God, I want to do that. And you know what? Let me say this about cultivating the flowers. Let me add this. Meet each other's needs. Yeah? Whether it's emotional or spiritual, relational. And you know what we're talking about here today is physical needs. It includes that sexual intimacy. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7, abstain only when you guys agree, like temporarily we're going to abstain for prayer and seeking God. But that's only temporary. And let me say, never use sex as a weapon of retaliation, manipulation, or punishment. That's wrong. That's all wrong. 1 Corinthians 7 talks about, hey, our body's not our own. So, cultivate, nourish the flowers. Commit to have eyes only for each other. You guys know Henry Ford, right? He invented the car way back then. He was celebrating 50 years of his anniversary, golden wedding anniversary. Well, the reporter asked, what's the secret to a long and successful marriage? Well, Henry Ford said this, it's the same formula I have always used in making cars. Stick to one model. (laughs) I love that. I love that. You are God's gift to each other. Value each other. Treasure each other. Honor God for the gift he gave you by treasuring your spouse. So vow to keep your vows. All right. We've seen to honor your God, to treasure your spouse. And finally, number three is to guard your heart. To guard your heart. Once again, you shall not commit adultery. Now there's one more thing we really need to get into with this commandment. And, and we need to talk about how adultery, committing adultery, affects your heart. How, how this affects you spiritually. And actually, this is where it ultimately begins inside of us. As we've been talking about, this is our flesh, our sinful flesh. Well, well this sin originates inside us, inside our heart. And to see this, I want you to turn over to Matthew chapter 5. Turn over to Matthew chapter 5, and uh, we're going to look at verse 27 and 28. Verse 27 and 28 of Matthew chapter 5. Jesus is speaking here, and he's talking to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, who, who were so into the law, so into uh, pride, their own self-righteousness and priding themselves of how great and holy they are. Well, Jesus, in this passage, and this is part of the Sermon on the Mount, he comes into verse 27 on Matthew 5, and he says this, 
You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Which commandment is that? Number seven, right? We're just looking at that in Exodus 20. He goes on, though, in verse 28. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, that's, that's pretty, pretty deep because he's going deep, right? Jesus quotes this commandment, and he's giving us how God really sees this. See, the Pharisees were, well, I never did that act, so it's not a fact for me. I'm okay with this commandment. But Jesus is saying, well, not really. We're not sinners because we never actually did the act, and that's for a fact. That's what they're like boasting about. But Jesus said, no, not really. You did. Because when you look at a woman lustfully, you know what? You have committed adultery in your heart. It's already done. It's a deal. See, the, the commandment doesn't just address the physical act. It addresses what's going on inside, in the heart, in the mind. So, to vow to keep your vows is, you know what? To guard your heart. It's to guard your heart from falling into this sin we're talking about. Falling into breaking the commandment number seven. It starts inside here, you guys. James talks about where does sin really begin? Inside of us. That's where it starts. And to look lustfully at someone, guys at a, a woman, girls at a guy, that is to sin before the Lord. And he sees that. I was thinking about David's fall with Bathsheba. That's a famous, right, adulterous affair there. And it even turned into murder later, right? Uh, he murdered Bathsheba's husband. Think about David, yeah? Up, up there, you know, he didn't go war. He stayed up there and in his palace. And he looked over and gazed over. And there's Bathsheba taking a bath on top of her house. There's, back then they had flat roofs. And that was a place. I don't know what she was doing up there. But here's David. He glanced. He should have just glanced. But he, the glance turned into a gaze. We talk about that. It's not the first look. It's the second look that gets you. Temptation is not a sin. But when you start gazing, leering, that's when you have that sin in your heart. So according to what we're reading here, Matthew 5, you know what? Jesus is saying, look, David sinned before he even called Bathsheba into his palace to come into his palace. Well, he should have turned. The glance, he should have just looked away. He, he should have known what, what his own sinful desires would want. He should have been, you know what, on guard. He should have been on guard. He should have been guarding his heart. Remember, our, our flesh is weak, right? The spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. And, and let me say, Satan plays on that, yeah? Satan play. I mean, look at this world. He's happy all this stuff, you know, is out there. He, he, he likes that. And he likes it when, when we're sitting there and all of a sudden this image comes on the TV. This commercial comes. Or you're sitting there, this girl walks by or a, girl wa- a guy walks by. You know, he wants to tempt you to fall. And it's all to destroy you and your marriage, your family, and your life and get you. So guard your heart, you guys. 
Guard your heart. When you vow to keep your vows, it's to guard your heart against the enemy and his temptation. Don't be a dartboard for the enemy. We should be like what Job said in in Job 31.1. I made a covenant with my eyes to not look with lust upon a woman. That's what we need to do, you guys. We need to guard our heart knowing our weaknesses, knowing what's what's attacking us all the time in this world. Let me say perhaps, or address this, perhaps you've crossed the line. Maybe you crossed the line online. Maybe you've done something at work that you shouldn't have, or at school. You know what? Hearing this message today, it's time to get behind the line on the other side. It's time to get your boundaries back, you guys. You may ask, well, is adultery forgivable? Absolutely yes. 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins, He, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus died for the sin of adultery also. And He can forgive you. There is a way back. There is a restoration. God is reaching out to you. Perhaps you're in that place and you're realizing how wrong it is. You're realizing how, how much you've given over to this. I think about, you remember the woman caught in adultery in John 8? You remember when finally the accusers left? And it was just her and Jesus. Did Jesus put judgment on her? Did Jesus turn around and walk away from her? No. Jesus forgave her and said, Go and sin no more. So Jesus is calling you to repent, to turn to him. His arms are open. He he wants to receive you. Perhaps the sound of my voice you hear the spirit calling that's God he wants you to return he wants you to come he wants to forgive you and yeah maybe you're living through some consequences of your affair but you know what God wants to help you through that and perhaps do some miracles in that I don't know but God is there for you Loving you, forgiving you, restoring you. So we have hope, you guys, in Jesus. Even if we've broken this commandment, you know what? There's life after this. And he could give you beauty for ashes, right? Joy. He'll he'll trade you for your mourning. I'll close with this. After coming home from church, a, a little boy asked his father about one of the Ten uh, Commandments uh, that they had learned. In, in, well, they learned the Ten Commandments, and he asked about one of them that uh, he had heard in Keiki Church that morning. And so the boy asked, Daddy, what does it mean when it says, Thou shalt not commit agriculture? <laughs> well, the father smiled and figured that he was asking about the Seventh Commandment. So with some quick thinking, the father said, Well, son, 
That means that you're not supposed to plow another man's field. <laughs> Good answer. Listen, I want to give you hope. I want, to, I want you to know God wants to help you. I want you to know God wants to free you. I want you to know that God wants to forgive you and restore you. And he's here for you. That, that Jesus loves you. I want you to know that God, he, he, he's giving this perhaps because some of you are, are on that lane line and you shouldn't be there. You need to come, across, come, come back all the way. Perhaps some of you playing with those boundaries maybe in what you see or what you're watching. No, keep that boundary. Build a high wall, whatever that takes. We need to plow our own field, you guys. We need to get back to what God wants for us because what God wants for us is the best for us. It's where he is. It's where blessings are. And so let's be committed in our marriage to vow to keep your vows. Let's pray. Lord, as we close up, God, I want to pray for those who have been affected by adultery affairs. Maybe uh, it's something that has happened way in the past and, and perhaps they're still carrying regret, but thank you and you, Jesus. Romans 8.1, therefore there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. It's all under the cross, washed by your blood, and we are new creations, made alive now to live for you. Lord, I, I pray for those who maybe have sinned in this way, recently and and it's hard it's created such a mess god will you meet them where they're at will it begin god with the restoration of their relationship with you may you forgive them god may they come to you right now at this moment call out to you plead with you and may you come and cleanse them and remove that guilt and lift them up out of that muck and mire and lord may Every step they take be guided by you and your spirit, Lord, as they navigate through the consequences. Lord, I pray for families, Lord, spouses who have been affected. Lord, this is a deep hurt, God. It's something that just doesn't go away. But, Lord, will you help them by your grace, by your love, God? Lord, give them grace to give grace. Give them forgiveness to give forgiveness, Lord. Help them, Lord. God, when they're an emotional wreck and the waves are high and the storm is blowing so hard that they could barely keep their head above water, God, will you come and rescue them, Lord? When they're overwhelmed, God, may you overwhelm what's overwhelming them and be their refuge and their strength, God. And Lord, do what you do. Do that miracle, God. Take the ashes, Lord, and turn it into something beautiful. Take the days, the weeks of mourning, the nights of mourning and tears, and bring your joy, God. Lord, you have been so faithful, God. We look back on our lives. You've been faithful, even when, when we, we blew it. Your grace is still there, and we know you will continue, God, to be there. And so, Lord, 
We look to you as our hope. We look to you to help us out of these situations, Lord, and to bring us one day, God, to a new dawn, past these events, past these situations, God, to a place where we can be healed, delivered, restored, and filled with your love, your peace, and your joy. So I pray, God, for your touch upon your people right now. In Jesus' name, amen.